Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to Manx Radio's podcast of Countryside with Kiri Kumud and myself, Simon Clark. And, well, birds we're going to be talking about uh, with the Managing Director of Manx Birdlife, Neil Morris. And so keen and enthusiastic as well. And you'll be able to see some, some pictures on Manx Radio's website as well that I was sent from. Uh, but I spoke to him mainly about uh, what we can do um, to help the birds at this time, you know, it's not been too bad a year so far. Um, but, you know, with the possibility of snow and frost, it's difficult, to, you know, the, the birds can't get as much food uh, as they need. And, you know, once they start going somewhere else, it's the worry that, that they don't come back here. And, uh, you know, you'll hear them saying, we've got such a, a fantastic array of birds that a lot of places don't have. But yet again, some of them are declining birds that, mm. you know, that uh, have been so common in the Isle of Man in the past. So a very interesting uh, conversation uh, at length as well with Neil on the programme. Uh, you spoke to Adam Hooksom, uh, who, of course, grew up on the farm. Uh, Kiri? Yes, I spoke to Adam. He, he lives on a family farm in Balaf and there wasn't enough room for all three brothers to actually come home to the farm so he diversified into a fencing contractor and uh, he told me all about the, the new mechanisms and how, how they made life easier as a, as a contractor out in the cold weather and, and with heavy materials and yeah, very interesting piece. Mm, the way things have moved on in that front deal here and also uh, Bill Dale of course who we know from the charity Beach Buddies and fantastic uh, amount of volunteers they've got in that organisation now and uh, they've recently been um, praised and, and won some awards at an event uh, in recent times. And also, uh, they've got some exciting new news that you'll hear Bill saying about, and uh, probably more in the new year as well. So that's all in Countryside, so uh, here it is. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. <laughs> Well, we all know by now the fantastic job that the volunteer charity Beach Buddies do to keep the island's coasts and beaches free from much of the rubbish and waste that gathers there. Well, the effort has been rewarded at the recent awards night, but firstly I asked one of the founding members, Bill Dale, about more exciting news that's just been released. We are starting an education programme in the schools from January. This is to highlight the dangers of waste and, and to try to bring back to the schools a message that was around a long time ago about keeping Britain tidy. So we are offering a, an education programme in every school in the Isle of Man and we're going to go to every school or offer every school an opportunity. We already go to lots of them, but an opportunity to come along on a beach cleaning event or to go in and give a PowerPoint presentation or both or whatever they want and to get more and more children involved and to bring them up to speed on the dangers of just literally throwing rubbish in the street, the dangers that it caused to wildlife. Is a lot of the island rubbish the stuff you find on the beach or is that coming from away and some of our rubbish is finding its way to other places? You know what, it's a mixture. On the west coast and the northwest coast, we would say, looking at analysing all of the things that we find, that around 80% of it's coming from outside of the island. But on the east coast... If you think about it, what happens is... Most of this rubbish comes down rivers, by the way. 
So it's not people going to the beach and throwing rubbish on the beach. Some of it's coming off boats or fishing boats, but 80% of the stuff that ends up on the beaches is going down rivers, which means that if you throw a piece of rubbish in the street in Crosby, for instance, it goes down a drain, it ends up in a stream, it goes into a river, it goes out to sea and it ends up on the beach. So on that basis, when we're getting lots of Irish rubbish on our northwestern beaches, it's logical to assume that the rubbish that we are dumping down our rivers, for instance in Douglas and Ramsey, is going straight across and sending a very bad message to places like Blackpool and Morecambe and Carlisle. But of course, we've seen the, the troubles with flooding and things, where it, with it blocking everything, isn't it? Absolutely, right? yeah. Whether plastic items and things like that cause that sort of damage, I'm not so sure because plastic floats very quickly and high on the water. And it is nearly all plastic that we find. The biggest problem that we have, which causes damage to wildlife, is plastic, because it breaks down. It doesn't ever disappear. It breaks down to smaller and smaller pieces. They say that this stuff is in the food chain and that pieces of plastic now outnumber the number of fish in the world seas. I mean, that's an incredible statistic. On the beaches, I suppose, you know, things like, you know, the, the plastic bits from, from beer cans and yeah. things like that. I've heard of that getting you know stuck like legs around seagulls necks and things like that causing trouble it does there's a famous picture on our facebook page of a turtle which got one of these wrapped around it when it was a very small little animal and it continued to grow and that poor little turtle ended up in a figure of eight shape with this this piece of plastic still wrapped around the middle of it Mm -hmm. there's also pictures on our on our page of uh, things like hedgehogs i mean it's not just sea animals this is all sorts and you mentioned seagulls there one of the things that happens to seagulls lots of people will have noticed that there are all over the place pigeons and seagulls in particular with one foot now the reason this happens is because things like fishing line and rope rope breaks down into pieces like fishing line the birds mothers they make nests with these things because it's warm it's light it's easy to pick up they put it in the nest it gets wrapped around the legs of the little chicks as they are born and as the chick grows it amputates its foot I used to think that this was because birds were flying into lines, you know, like uh, telegraph poles and telegraph wires and things like that. Nothing of the like. It, I mean, it's actually it's being amputated by pieces of plastic. Incredible. Congratulations as well are in order. Uh, work has been recognised in recent times for the awards. It has. That was, that was very nice. And uh, it represents all of the fantastic volunteers we've got. We're, we're very close to 7,000. I was hoping we were going to get to that total by the end of this year. It looks as if it's going to be just after that, probably January, February. But amazing number of volunteers. We've got a fantastic organisation. It's grown beyond our anything I ever expected it would do, and it's fantastic. The other thing that's been probably the best thing that's ever happened to us was the arrival of Dr Han Chun Lee from Biosphere, UNESCO Biosphere, and he came to the Isle of Man to give the Isle of Man the reserve, the Biosphere Reserve Status Award, and he specifically mentioned Beach Buddies as being something that could actually set a world precedent in what we've achieved, and I mean, that when he said that, that was just fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Bill Dale from the Beach Buddies charity in Kerry, wonderful job they do. And it's great that they we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago that they've got uh, recognised at that awards night. But the fantastic news uh, that, you know, they're going to go to the schools and help educate uh, some of the youngsters about, um, you know, because they think rubbish is fairly harmless, but the damage it can do 
to affect everything. That, that's this the is it. It's not just unsightly, is it? It is. It causes damage to the environment. And they do a fantastic job with it down our way, especially the wheelie bins that have appeared and the sacks that people can take and just go and do their own you know, litter pick or contribute in their own way. They don't necessarily have to be in a big group of people or an organised yeah, excursion. Amount, the amount of volunteers they've got now is incredible. And uh, there's some... Some more news on the horizon, but I couldn't prize it out of Bill, so uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Oh, definitely. Well, you were, I suppose, Kiri, changing the subject, um, one of the the lucky ones, I suppose, or unlucky, depending on which way you look at it, that uh, there was work on your farm um, for growing up, for your family and stuff, with your parents. Um, I wasn't, I was the youngest out of seven, so there wasn't really anything left for me to do, but uh, chose a different sort of career, and I'm still there so one of the options now i suppose that's uh, available to a lot of farmers um, sons and daughters isn't it uh, some have stayed in some have gone out but if you're staying in what can you do what, what areas can you go a lot of them have uh, decided to diversify and keep a smaller amount of livestock and uh, I do an outside job and i actually catch up with a fencing contractor that did this adam huxham well when i was 16 obviously left school went straight into the farm didn't really want to do anything else but farm, but I always enjoyed doing the, the work as fencing-wise and things. And um, we sort of realised as a, as a young age that there was too many people on our farm. It wasn't big enough to sustain three people, so I got several different part-time jobs as I was growing up. And then one of them was working as a fencing contractor for another, obviously, local contractor. And, yeah, I found I really enjoyed it. It came to a point one year where we just decided to have a sit-down and decided that we maybe needed to sort of branch out and do different things, diversify a little bit. So the obvious one for me was to go fencing. I enjoyed it, and so so I made it my career from from then on, really. Because your brother's always been a keen agricultural contractor, doing ploughing and hedge cutting and different tasks around the farm, but you just stuck at fencing? Yeah, mainly just specialised in fencing. It works really well because he obviously does a lot of hedge trimming, so for me it worked great. So it worked hand in hand, the two of you? Yeah, I do a lot of work with that. He clears the hedges beforehand and then I come in and fence. It's something I really enjoy doing, to be totally honest. So, yeah. And you do all aspects of fencing, this agricultural, garden fencing. How are the methods changing? It all started off with agriculture fencing. That was what I main, mainly did. And then, yeah, I've branched into gardens and done, done an awful lot of fencing now in, in the garden side of things. And um, it's getting more mechanised all the time. But the, the fencing materials have changed as well. It's not your standard post and, and barbed wire. There's, there's now the new metal fencing as well you seem to be uh, getting more customers for. Yeah, that's really taken off now. That's, uh, there's a huge uh, market for that now. It's, um, it's a different alternative to wood, obviously. And it, it's a guaranteed sort of 30 year lifespan in it so that's really selling it basically it is more expensive but a lot easier to use and what about the fencing materials will you buy them locally you know we've got a good forestry board here for for wooden materials yeah i use um local forestry board they're really good the, the quality of the stuff is excellent it's as good as, you, as you'll get in england but how do you manage with the weather it's not uh, it's not one of the most enjoyable tasks to be outdoors all day every day because obviously this is your full-time job now it's it's tough in the winter well, yeah, we've got the machines that will we'll do, will work in any type of weather. I mean, like for knocking posts in, especially, we've got a tract crawl that thing can go anywhere in the wet. It's really good. It doesn't mark the ground. It's soft and gentle on the ground, to be honest. It's really nice. It's uh, completely different to a tractor, which is uh, obviously a heavy thing. This thing's really light. So With leaving school and becoming a fencing contractor, you've obviously had a number of years to invest in things that make life easier. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time and, and researched a lot of different products and gone for what I think is a real good unit now it's uh it's a completely basically a one-man unit now so i can do it all on my own i used to 
when I first started out, I had a couple of men, like a couple of good men, helping me. But trying to get good staff is always tricky sometimes, and they don't always want to work in the weather, so I had to go down the road of, on my own. So yeah, I spent a lot of time and and I looked at a lot of different things, and I think I've got the perfect outfit now. I think I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so you can work basically in all areas, up on the mountainsides, and also in gardens. You know, you're changing your hand to all these different jobs can be easy. It's the great thing about the job. You, you never, you never have two jobs the same. Um, like one day you will be up the mountain putting a fence up in the in the rain, or the next day you're out in the like sunshine out near a beach somewhere, or you might be out looking at some amazing views somewhere. And, you know, it's amazing. You get some real nice, get to some real nice spots. But also, you still have the the pedigree cattle and the hill sheep here back at Bollamore. You know, you find time to fit them in as well. Yeah, it's really nice to get back and have a break from fencing and get back home to the farm. And yeah, we, I mean, my dad still runs the farm pretty much full time, and we've still got a lot of cattle. We still run some pedigree cattle there too, which we is it's nice to get out to the local shows in the summertime and do something differently and, and like you say we run run the sheep as well so did you ever take part in the young farmers fencing competitions because i know that they used to have them many years ago yes we did yeah in 2008 we went away to the young farmers northern area competition and we won it yeah we, we won that year so that was good you are very competitive though yeah <laughs> very competitive yeah yeah i like to do quite well at whatever i do so and do you enjoy all aspects of fencing you know from the agricultural side to the gardening side you must come across a lot of people yeah it is really nice it's really nice actually because you get two different you do, you get bored on the big jobs you just keep moving around and get different jobs and it's nice to get into a garden and the next day you'll be out like in a field somewhere it's, it's nice to have a nice change Nice variety of works. And, and is it quite seasonal? Obviously, because winter, it's, it's very soft. The land is easier to work. And then, obviously, this summer has been very dry. It must be quite difficult. The gardens are always the same. The, the agriculture is very seasonal. You'll always have a mad rush in February, March of farmers trying to get sheep and lambs out in the fields and cows and calves out from the winter. So that's always a real busy time. Autumn as well, before the ground gets too wet, they're always rushing to get things done <laughs> it is harder in the winter to get anything done anywhere really and for the summer when it is very dry you'll have implements to help you maybe pierce the earth yeah i've got a real good post knocker that's uh, it'll knock it in on any ground knock it in through rocks and all sorts it'll, it does yeah it does really good so your fencing contracting business adam it seems to fit well with what you do at Bollamore farm yeah it works really well i go out and do my fencing and, and my other two brothers do their things and then we all come back to the farm, we all club together to do all the big jobs that we need doing at certain times of year, all the seasonal events, such as helping to get the Tough Man event ready. That's always a good event that we uh, enjoy doing and we we help to put it on. And you'll have to move lots of fences around for all these crazy people to run up and down the hill, I imagine. Yeah, every year we end up moving fences and putting new gates in and helping to make new obstacles and, and putting bales out for it. And It's just an event we really enjoy doing, to be totally honest. It's, uh, it's good fun. We also have the, the end-to-end bikes come through the farm as well and, you know, you do bend over backwards to cater for some of these events. Yeah, we have to move all the, all the stock out of the way to make sure everybody's get a clear run on straight up to the farm, make sure everyone's safe and it's always an enjoyable event to watch that one. So diversification is it's definitely been the key here. It really has, yeah. We, yeah, we're doing a lot better now than we what we were many years ago. That was Adam Huxham, the fencing contractor. And fencing, of course, <laughs> people have just tuned in, not the type with the foils and <laughs> rapiers, whatever they use. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, and it always, remember, always reminds me of the fencing competitions at the Northern Area and stuff that I used to go and see. And it was fantastic watching the group of lads in action putting the fences up and what precision and work was involved in it. Well, that's it. A lot of maths needed and obviously a good eye for a straight line is always 
good as well. But uh, yeah, it's not an easy job outside, you know, seven days a week or, or however they choose to do it. Um, but yeah, now they have a lot of implements that make it a lot easier, more mechanised, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, I suppose the way the, the world has changed... Um, People now are getting contractors in where in the past they would do a bit of fencing when they had a, a quiet few days or something like that, wouldn't it? That's right. They, these guys can now put up, you know, two, three hundred metres in a day with these machines and um, it's done in a flash and, and it's, yeah, it's just the shortest period of time to get the livestock back in on the land, I suppose. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, it's that time of year where winter is upon us, and although we haven't had too much uh, cold weather or snow showers at this particular time, it's a particularly worrying uh, time of the year for the likes of garden birds, uh, common ones and rarer ones as well. To find out how much of an important time it is and what you can do to help the birds, I caught up with Neil Morris, the Managing Director at Manx Bird Life. Well, it's a difficult time for all birds and particularly birds that were born this summer are still learning to feed, learning to cope and surviving their first winter is perhaps the biggest challenge of all that they face. So far we've been quite lucky. We've had one or two frosts but we've not really had those extended periods where the ground freezes up and snow covers the fields etc. So the birds are doing okay at the moment but the signs are certainly in the air. We're getting large numbers of red wings and field fares coming across from Scandinavia and Russia. They're regular winter visitors and we've had quite large visitors this year so perhaps they know that winter's about to push on in continental Europe and they'll, they'll come and stay with us, perhaps push on through into Ireland to spend the winter in relative mild in uh, climates. And at the moment they're currently raiding berry bushes all over the island. So they're a great pair of birds to spot in your garden. They're typical thrushes, brown, about blackbird size with black spots on the breasts. The red wing is the smaller one and it literally has red down the side of the wing which is quite easy to spot. And the field fair is much bigger with a grey head and a grey rump and a very distinctive chuckling laugh. But these birds are arriving in gardens as we speak at the moment, stripping the bushes of their berries. And as the winter moves on, of course the winter will get a bit harder for them. And if cold weather comes in, then once they've stripped the berries from the bushes, they do find it tough trying to find uh, insects and worms in the ground once the berries have gone. And so they may well leave the island at that point when the real winter weather closes in on us. They haven't quite adapted to the likes of squirrels or something yet where they hide the berries somewhere and pick them through the winter, I think. No, it's interesting. These thrushes are highly mobile, so I think their strategy is rather than stashing larders of food away to come back to at a later date they will strip the trees clean of berries and then simply move on i suppose we could liken it to locusts that they clear all the food they can and then just keep moving in search of new food sources and that movement over a winter could take them all the way from western europe down through into ireland and perhaps into iberia as well constantly searching for food sources and it depends on how harsh the weather is in northern Europe as to how far south and west they will push. Still the remarkable thing in my brain to try and get around how far birds fly in migration times and everything and, 
and how they survive without sat navs and things. It's remarkable, isn't it? Well, there's some remarkable science going on discovering how birds do this, and I, I think there are, there are two ways to look at it. I think there's the amazing endurance that birds have to undertake these flights. Birds are pushed right to their physical limits on these migrations. And remember, these migrations are really forced because they need to go off in search of food when food in the areas where they've been nesting starts to disappear. And as well as that physical endurance, it's the navigational abilities. And we had Ollie Paget earlier in the autumn talking about the navigation of Max Shearwaters. And it's long been known that Max Shearwaters can fly vast distances across the ocean and find their way back to the burrows that they used the year before. And the pairs are pretty faithful over the period of their lifetime. So these two birds that possibly don't spend the winter together in the ocean will come back to the very same nesting site the next summer to nest together again. And the generalities of navigation in birds have been reasonably appreciated, not well understood, but appreciated. But we're only now just starting to dig in to understand almost at the molecular level, and there I say it at the quantum mechanics level, how this navigation actually happens. It's quite an astounding feat. And I've mentioned the red wings and the field fairs. They will habitually migrate from Russia and Scandinavia, west and south, but there are birds such as waxwings which have just started to arrive. And th these are sort of punk-haired birds, gorgeous pinky-brown birds with red, yellow and white flashes and this big Mohican haircut. And they're what we call an eruptive species. They only move when the absolute necessity is there. So sometimes we get no birds in a winter period, sometimes we get big flocks. And the evidence this year is that the food crops have run out in the forests where they live in northern Europe and so there are big movements of these birds starting to take place and we've started to receive one or two in the Isle of Man and they're certainly worth looking out for amongst the berries and bushes with the red wings and field fairs. Getting to the season of the robin and the other garden birds, I mean what's the, the status of the garden birds in the island? Well we're very lucky, we have a hundred or more people taking part regularly in our garden bird watch scheme it's a scheme that's been running since 2000 and it's a little bit of citizen science by watching the birds in your garden and once a week making a note of the maximum number of each species that you've been seeing at any one time. Over the years that has built up to quite an interesting set of data and I was just reflecting that if you compare some of the results that we've been getting on the Isle of Man through our garden birdwatch results the wood pigeon, for example, doesn't feature at all in Isle of Man gardens. It's not in our top 12 of garden birds. And yet across, it's the number one. And that just serves to highlight some of the differences between our climate and our habitats here compared to across. Birds such as house sparrow, that has recently been red listed as a bird of the utmost conservation concern because its populations are falling dramatically across. Just, just the sparrow that we're familiar with. The commonal garden house sparrow. Mm. And, you know, at our peril, we take these birds for granted. Birds are the canary in the coal mine. And something such as the house sparrow, which we have always assumed to be very much part of our urban environment, its numbers have started to decline recently. And so we need to find the reasons for those decline to understand if those reasons will have wider impact for other birds and wildlife around us. 
But having seen Sparrow dropping right down the Garden Birdwatch list across, actually for us, it's still right up there at number one. So we're obviously doing something right on the island. Yeah. And, but the Yellowhammer particularly... Yeah. It's a worrying bird. It is. Well, the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Talking of canaries in a coal mine, I mean, it, it looks like the canary in the coal mine. It's a finch-like bird. It's bright yellow. And in the 70s or 80s, it, it was very common. Our predecessors and the older generation is, would recognise the yellow hammer. But this year, despite extensive breeding survey activity, we only found three individual birds on the whole island. It's right on the precipice of being declared extinct as a breeding bird on the island. And it's probably a bird we won't get back. Uh, we've been talking about migration and how birds move these great distances. Interestingly, the yellowhammer is one of those birds that tends to be quite sedentary. And there's no movement of populations between Europe, the UK, the Isle of Man, Ireland. And so once these birds have gone, it's very unlikely we'll get them back again. And I think that would be a very, very sad day. But I think we're only a year or two before we declare it as extinct as a breeding bird on the island. And that's uh, news that nobody wants to hear, isn't it? But uh, other types of garden birds, are they doing okay? They are. It, it's interesting um, because the Isle of Man is, is very much a rural environment. We don't have the deep suburban areas that perhaps you get across. And so we're seeing a lot of garden birds that spend much of their time out in the countryside. And for most of them, it's only a very small hop to come into our gardens. I think by looking at the health of our garden birds, it does tell us a lot about the health of the countryside. On the plus side, birds such as sparrows, robins, blackbirds, blue tits, chaffinches are actually doing very well, and we're quite pleased with what we're seeing. But birds such as the greenfinch are having a really hard time and possibly that's to do with lack of food stuff, but it's also to do with disease. And the greenfinch is one of those birds that's been struck by the trichomonosis parasite. It does affect other birds as well, notably cage birds, but it has struck down greenfinch populations. And while we've seen birds like goldfinch, which are very similar in their feeding habits to greenfinch, increasing and becoming a very popular and common garden bird, the green finch has really just disappeared off our list altogether. What can people do to encourage them during this winter months if it suddenly snows next week or something? Is the do's and don'ts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, winter time, as we say, birds need that little bit of help when the weather gets particularly harsh. So you can feed your garden birds. Things like sunflower hearts are particularly a favourite of many of these garden birds. And things like dried mealworms, it sounds a bit gruesome, but we have to remember that birds need their protein as well. And when the ground gets frosted and iced over, it's very hard for the birds to peck into that frosted ground to find the worms and insects that normally they would be eating. And so supplementing their diet with things like mealworms, dried mealworms, which you, you can get from, for example, the fishing shops, is a very good source of protein for these birds. What about garden areas? Um, would clearing the snow help or knocking it off the trees or anything like that or keeping it off the bird <laughs> boxes so that they don't f slip off? Or <laughs> I think the trouble with clearing the snow is it's a constant job, isn't it? And if the weather's really cold, the ground will be frozen often underneath the snow. So I, th I, th I think keep an area in your garden clear, keep it clean, 
and if you are going to put bird food down during the winter keep a steady supply of that food going because the birds will learn that the food is there and perhaps these younger birds that are trying to learn how to get through these harsh first winters might come to depend on your garden or your area for their food and so if you're putting food out one week but stop the next week that can cause just as much as a problem so keep a nice consistent supply of garden bird food yeah so i suppose if they see the food there for a couple of weeks and they use an energy fly in there and then suddenly they fly there a couple of days and waste the energy that they're trying to save that sort of thing absolutely birds burn food very quickly they have a very high tempo metabolism so they need to constantly feed and for the smaller birds that we're getting in our garden like the blackbirds the thrushes and the house sparrows they need to be feeding for 60 to 80 percent of daylight hours constantly putting away enough food and almost burning it straight away it's very difficult for them to build up fat reserves during the winter so searching for food flying distances foraging for food takes up an awful lot of energy so as I say if if you've got them in the habit of coming to your garden for a little bit of supplementary food from your bird table keep that going because that will help them significantly. And what about the year in general from your view from Manx Bird Life? Well it's been interesting it's been my first year at the helm of Manx Bird Life and there are certainly some good news stories and there are also some very worrying stories. I think the best way I reflect on it is that I think the Manx countryside is beautiful and I think if if one goes out and takes a walk it is fantastic but you scratch a little bit deeper and you start to realise that things are changing. The impact of us as people on our environment is increasingly significant and we see stories from across the whole world that numbers of animals, wild animals, diversity of species are all declining and we're seeing that on the Isle of Man, perhaps not always so severe as elsewhere, but we're certainly seeing declines. Those declines are because of pollution, changing land use, increased urbanisation and development, disturbance, disturbance by cats and dogs as well. But as I say, there are some good news stories, and I think we can hold the Isle of Man high as a a proud beacon for nesting hen harries in particular. There are lots of problems with the persecution of these wonderful birds of prey. Thankfully, we have very, very little persecution of those birds on the Isle of Man. And we had 30 nesting attempts this year. And what was particularly interesting for us is that this is the first time that we've comprehensively surveyed hen harries in the Isle of Man for six years now. And we found that the population today was on a par with the population from six years ago we were a bit worried that we might discover a decline but the declines of previous years seem to have slowed down and perhaps we've got the population onto an even keel now now that's that's no room for complacency but it is nice to know that we still have as many hen harries at least as we did six years ago that's clearly not the case for birds such as the yellow hammer that we were talking about a bit earlier. Start of the year wasn't great weather-wise, uh, slowed the birds down a bit, did it? Well it did, it was really cold, wasn't it? The summer didn't get going till quite late and I think that caused a problem for quite a number of the summer visitors. These are birds which are spending their winters in sub-Saharan Africa and they come here in the summer months 
because our climate warms up and the insects come out. So when we have these very cold starts to the summer, it can impact these birds quite badly. And birds like white throats, for example, which are a small warbler, which you can see flying up from the hedgerows and the bushes with its scratchy song each spring, they had a really hard time because it was very cold, it was windy, it was difficult for the pairs to mate up. And once they had mated up, because it was cold, it was very difficult to find the food they needed to get off to a good start with their nesting this season. But having said that, later in the summer, it was certainly evident that the swallows had had a pretty good season, and we were seeing lots of swallow broods and swallow families flying around the island. One of the really interesting uh, sightings we had this year was of the firecrest, this is a bird from... Related to the goldcrest? <laughs> well, it's, it's very similar to the goldcrest. Same sort of size, same sort of sprite-like behaviour. But rather than just having the golden crown with the black stripes at the side, it has an additional pair of white stripes over the eye. Some yellow and golden blush at the side of the breast. It's a really pretty thing. And we had a couple of birds singing on breeding territory this year. We couldn't prove they had bred, but it's exciting because that's the closest we've ever got to this bird breeding on the island. I'm pretty confident that in future years we will find this bird as a breeding bird on the island. And I was in Belfast last week and uh, the fellow I was talking to was so excited that he was going to come to the Isle of Man to see some chuffs because I think they've only got one pair there or something, is that right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. I was with the Northern Ireland RSPB team earlier this year and they were celebrating the fact that Chuff had returned to Rathlin Island after a lot of good conservation work to try to restore habitat for those birds. And it's interesting to compare fortunes and, again, a real lesson that we do take some birds for granted. As I say, in Ireland, they were, Northern Ireland, they were celebrating the fact they had just got Chuff back we have between about 200 and 300 pairs nesting on the island every year, just on our, on our small island. And that's really quite something. And again, that's testament to the fact that the island offers a very wild rural environment. And there's plenty of places in the craggy cliffs down south for these birds to breed. But we've also noticed that they're, they're moving a bit further north into areas that normally we wouldn't have expected to find them. They're moving right up to the, to the airs in the very north. And again, that's testament, I think, to the fact that the southern population of these birds, around the cliffs where you would normally expect to find them, they're doing really well. And so birds are having to, to move out of those traditional haunts into other areas to find new nesting territories. And one of the really unique habits of our chuff and relevant to this time of year is that they will come down to the beaches to feed. Now, no other populations in Europe, apart from one or two on the islands of Western Scotland, do this. Chuff is an upland bird, it's a cliff bird, but rarely do they come down to the beaches to feed. And it seems that on the Isle of Man, they look for the shelter of the beaches and they feed along the strand line, digging around in the seaweed for the little sand hoppers and other insects and crustacea that you can find on the beach. And I was down at Strand Hall just yesterday watching flocks of chuff doing precisely this, and it's quite a unique experience. The Managing Director at Manx BirdLife, Neil Morris. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, there we are. Birds 
Garden Birds we were talking about there with uh, Neil Morris. Also the Beach Buddies being recognised there and uh, some great news that uh, they're getting involved in the education of rubbish, of how important it is and what it can affect uh, just on our little island as well um, with Bill Dale, of course, and uh, you uh, finding out about how farmers and, and youngsters are still diversifying uh, diversifying from areas in in the, from farming backgrounds, Kiri. Yeah, it's really the way it seemed to be shifting at the moment. The diversification is helping a lot of family farms and, and bringing in extra income to actually run some of these farms as well. So it's very interesting to, to see how people do it. Mm. But we're having a couple of weeks break on Countryside, but uh, there is a very important mart on, Kiri, isn't there? Oh, yes. The Christmas mart's coming up on uh, Friday the 23rd. Uh, so there'll be a lot of poultry on sale and uh, hoping to nip along and see how it's all going yeah and them interviews that Kiri will get from that will be on and other countryside podcasts so don't miss that as well all that's left is to wish you a merry christmas and a happy new year we return with countryside uh, on the 3rd of january 2017 so all the best here uh, from me simon clark and me Kerry kermode we'll see you then Ta-da. bye-bye don't sit in the slow lane join the fast lane right now with shaw's all new super fast plus broadband Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shore. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com. Love being sure. Terms and conditions apply.